Well, thank you, Matt, for leading us in worship this morning. Welcome to Maple Grove Covenant Church. So glad that you're with us this morning. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're kicking off a brand new series entitled The Shocking Statements of Jesus. Because Jesus said some pretty shocking things. Love your enemies. Hate your parents. Take up your cross. Eat my flesh. Pray for those that persecute you. I mean, these are some pretty shocking statements, some tough teachings, hard sayings. And we we can barely pray for our friends, right? And Jesus says, pray for those that hurt you. Bless those that persecute you. These are hard sayings, tough teachings. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at seven, seven of the shocking statements of Jesus. But before we do that, I'd just like to take a quick poll this morning. Has anyone ever been shocked by electricity? Just let me see those hands. Oh, wow, there's a lot of people out there that have been shocked unexpectedly by electricity. You may have heard the story before. When I was a kid, we had an outlet right at the eyeball, eyeball to eyeball with me at our kitchen table. And my mother would often say, hey, Chad, don't stick anything in the outlet. And I would always kind of glance over at this outlet. She says, Chad, you don't want to stick anything in the outlet. But as the story goes, I, I couldn't help myself. And one uh, afternoon, while after my mom had, had finished cleaning up a little bit, I was in the kitchen, sitting at the kitchen table, and I stuck my fork in the outlet. And, you know, smoke and flames came out, and I got shocked. And I never stuck my fork in an outlet again. Because that's what happens when you unexpectedly get shocked. It can harm you and you never want to go there again. And so it is with the teachings of Jesus. Sometimes they can be so shocking, so overwhelming, that, that we never want to go there and hear the words of Jesus again. But there's another shock Another experience that doesn't repel us, but actually brings us back to life. Anybody know what this thing's called? Defibrillator. It's old school. It's an old school defibrillator. And if someone is having cardiac arrest, someone's having a heart attack, their, their rhythm is off, they will take these paddles, a trained professional will take these paddles and place them on a person's heart. And at the right time, set in the right place, they will shock a person back to life. That's the purpose of the teachings of Jesus. That's why Jesus said his shocking statements. He did not say them to repel us, but to draw draw us and to revive us back to him. So there are two responses that we can have over the next seven weeks to the shocking statements of Jesus. We can respond like sticking your fork into an outlet and saying, I never want to hear those words again. I'm repelled by the statements of Jesus. Or we can respond by saying, those statements are so hard. They're so tough. I need them to revive my heart so that I can live. And that's why we're going through the shocking statements of Jesus. To resuscitate our hearts so that we can live a life worth living. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Luke chapter 14. We're going to look at one of the first of seven statements of Jesus. F.F. Bruce actually wrote a book called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. He has 70 of them. We're only going to look at seven. And in Luke chapter 14, 
verse 26, page 1034 in your pew Bibles, Jesus shares one of his shocking statements. He's going from place to place, teaching the disciples, teaching the crowd, and teaching the Pharisees. And he says these words in chapter 14, verse 25. Jesus begins, the story begins this way. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He's going from place to place, city to city, community to community, and a large gathering of people follow Jesus. And then Jesus pauses and he says this shocking, disturbing, even insulting statement. Jesus said, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It's pretty shocking. It's pretty uncomfortable. Pretty hard, tough, even offensive. If anyone does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, even if if anyone does not hate his family. He cannot be my disciple. Now, most of us love our family. Most of us love our parents. We honor our parents, think about our parents. We, we speak highly of our parents. Most of us love our children. We provide for our children. We play with our children. We take our children to sporting events and school events. We enjoy our children. Most of us even enjoy our siblings most of the time. We enjoy hanging out with our family over a meal. We celebrate holidays. We, we send birthday cards. We love our family. Don't we? Raise your hand if you love your family. Raise your hand if you love your family and friends. Okay, if you have a family member or a friend that feels like family, turn to them and say, I love you. Go ahead, do that now. I love you, man. I love you. Most of us love our families. We honor our parents. We enjoy their company. We celebrate holidays. We remember their birthdays. So why does Jesus say these shocking words? Why does Jesus tell us to hate our family? It feels a little odd, a little strange, a little shocking. And as shocking, offensive, even insulting as Jesus' words are to us today, they were even more shocking to his original hearers. Because back in the time of Jesus, family was everything. It was your reputation. It was your livelihood. It was your identity, your employment, your future was all revolved around your family. In a shame-based traditional culture, your entire life revolved around your family. To reject your family was unthinkable. To hate your family was unspeakable, even life-threatening. Yet Jesus said these words. If anyone comes after me and does not, what's the word there? Hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters. He cannot be my disciple. Now, there are two understandings of the word hate. The common use of the word hate means intense hostility or actively harming another person with words or actions. One person physically injures or harms another person or simply says the words, I hate you. 
Now, some of you know I sometimes ask my children if I can use them as an illustration to prove a point. And they love it when I tell stories about them from the pulpit because they know that if I share a story, sometimes they even feed me stories, then they each get $5. So they get excited when I tell stories about them during a worship service. And when I asked them, I gathered my girls together, and I asked them, hey, girls, I, I, I remember this time when you said this phrase, I hate you. Do you mind if I share that as a sermon illustration? They all said no. <laughs> I said, how about $10? How about $15? No takers. None of them wanted to be identified as one that said, I hate you, to a parent, to a sibling, because they know intuitively that we're to love and honor our family. We're to follow the fifth commandment, to honor your father and your mother. So why does Jesus instruct us to hate our parents? Why does Jesus ask us to hate our parents, our children, or our family? Well, there's another understanding of the word hate. In the Semitic language, hate can also be used comparatively, meaning instead of actively harming someone with our words or actions, one relationship is compared to another. It's like saying, I like ice cream compared to broccoli. Or I like rock music compared to country. Or I like mountain biking compared to running. Or I like the USA hockey team compared to the Canadians. We can use the word hate to actively hurt someone with our words or actions, or we can use the word hate comparatively. Compared to the things that I love, these things look like hate. Because I don't really hate broccoli. I, I eat it all the time. I don't hate country music. Sometimes I sing country music. I don't hate running. I run to the bathroom once in a while. I don't hate the Canadians. I just don't like losing to them in the Olympics. We can use the word hate comparatively. And in the Semitic language, that's actually commonly used. Back in Genesis chapter 29, the Hebrew word hate is used to describe Jacob's relationship with Leah and Rachel. Maybe you remember the relationship between Leah and Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel. Jacob worked seven years to get Rachel. Jacob wanted to be with Rachel for the rest of his life. Compared to his love for Rachel, Jacob hated Leah. Now, he didn't actively harm or hurt Leah. He didn't say, I hate you. I never want to see you again. But he provided for Rachel in comparison to his love for Rachel. It looked like he hated Leah. And that's exactly how Jesus used the word in Luke chapter 14. Jesus took the most important relationships in our lives the ones he created us to enjoy, our relationships with our parents, our children, 
our siblings, and he said, in comparison to your relationship with me, Jesus said, all your other relationships should look like hate. Compared to loving and worshiping and following God, all your other relationships should look like hate. It's pretty shocking. It's pretty hard. These are tough teachings for us to understand and apply to our lives. That's why they're called the shocking statements of Jesus. And did you notice, Jesus did not say, put me first. Jesus did not say, seek me first and then go help your family. He did not say, love me and then go love your family. This is not an issue of priority. Jesus is asking us, to compare. He's not asking us to prioritize our relationship. He's asking us to compare our relationships. In comparison to your relationship with God, your relationship to your family should look like hate. You got to remember the Greeks described their relationship with one another with four different words for love. Do you remember that? There's agape love and phileo and storge and eros love. And the Greeks would have this in their mind. So, so they would be thinking, in comparison to storge love, that natural love that you have for your family, in comparison to eros love, that romantic love that you have between a husband and wife, in comparison to phileo love, where you get friendship, compared to a friendship love or agape love, where you love someone unconditionally, in comparison to all your human relationships, Jesus said, They must look like hate compared to loving and worshiping me. He's not asking us to prioritize. He's asking us to compare all of our human relationships with him. And if it doesn't look like we hate all of our human relationships compared to him, Jesus says, you can't follow me. These are hard sayings. These are tough teaching, strong words, they can shock us away from God, and we never want to hear them again, or they can shock us back to life and to what it looks like to having a loving relationship with God through Christ. And that's why Jesus said these words. And did you notice who Jesus said these words to? Did you notice who Jesus was speaking to? He wasn't talking to his disciples. He wasn't talking to the twelve. He wasn't talking to the religious leaders, those that kind of knew the scriptures. Do you remember who Jesus was talking to when he said these words? Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them and he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, he cannot follow me. The crowd, not the disciples not the religious leaders, the beginners, the ones looking from the outside in, the ones trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. Jesus said these words to the beginners. If anyone does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, if your love for your family does not pale in comparison to your love for me, you can't follow me. You can't be part of me. You cannot be my disciple. 
So how are you and God doing today? How's your relationship with Jesus? I mean, if you were to compare your time, your energy, your love, your devotion, your interest in your family with your love, your interest, your devotion, and, and, and time that you spend with God, how does it compare? I mean, if you were to stack all the things that you do for your family, all the interests that you have in your family and friends, all the time, energy, money that you put towards your family, and you were to stack that up against all the time, energy, and interest, and love that you put towards your relationship with God, how does it compare? And would you be willing to say that in comparison to my relationship with my family, my relationship with God is stacked so much higher that it looks like I hate my family. Because if you can't do that, according to Jesus, you can't be his disciple. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? These are hard words. These are tough teachings, shocking statements, and I'm glad I didn't say them. This is Jesus' words. Because if we were really honest, we might conclude that if you were to stack all of my time, interest, money, thoughts, dreams, desires about my family and about my God, it would look like I actually hate God compared to my family. I mean, if we were honest, we might conclude just the opposite, that I hate God compared to the love, time, and devotion that I put towards my family. And that's the point. Because no one here loves God this way. All of us struggle loving people more than God. And that's why Jesus said this very next sentence, because left in isolation, Jesus' words can shock us away from him. But that's not why he said those words. He said, hate your parents to shock us back to life. And that's why I'm so glad that Jesus said this very next life-saving sentence. Jesus said this, if anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Anyone that does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, this sounds like another shocking statement, and it is. We're actually going to get to it in a few weeks. But there are many understandings of this phrase. Some people interpret it to mean everybody has a cross to bear. Have you ever heard someone say that? You know, I've, I've, I've got this cross to bear. And they're like talking about their mother-in-law, right? And I've got, I've got this heavy burden to bear. And I got to carry this burden all the way to my dying days until I meet Jesus. I mean, they got this cross to bear. And we know that mother-in-laws can be hard. No, that's not the point. We know that following Jesus can be difficult. It can be hard. There always includes suffering. But that's not the meaning of Jesus' words. Others say that the cross represents death, that if we're not willing to die, give up everything to follow Jesus, then we can't be his disciple. And that's true. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. But that's not the only understanding of Jesus' words. It's not the full meaning of Jesus' words. Because when Jesus said, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple, he had more in his mind than difficult circumstances or a willingness to die. He had you and me and us 
in his mind. Because what does the cross represent? It's more than just an instrument of death. Do you remember what the cross represents? The weight of our sin. The consequences of our sin. Eternal separation from God. The cross represents our sin. When you wear a cross, when you see a cross, it represents the weight of the world's sin that Jesus took to make us right before God. It's the consequences of our sin. And where did Jesus take the cross? To Calvary. And what did he do? He died for our sins. So where are we to take our cross, the weight of our sins? Well, we got two options. We can carry them with them, with us into our workplaces, into our homes, into our relationships, into our deathbeds, and be separated from God forever. We can bear the weight of our sins. We can carry our own cross, or we can carry our cross up the hill to Calvary and place the weight of our sins on Jesus, where he died for us. We can carry our cross and follow Jesus and carry and place the weight of our sins on him. Because the only way to become a disciple of Jesus is to confess that sometimes I love my family more than God. Sometimes I'm more concerned about what my friends think about me than what God thinks about me. Sometimes I listen and obey others over God. And what we need to do today is to take up our cross, to follow Jesus up the hill, and to place the consequences of our sins on him and to watch him absorb our sins and the weight of the world's sins and die in our place to set us free from the consequences of our sin because then and only then can we walk and follow and be a disciple of Jesus. Only then will we Love God more than our family. It's the cross where Jesus died for our sins. It's the cross where we receive forgiveness for our sins. It's the cross where we carry up our sins and we place them on the cross and we carry them no more. It's the cross that sets us free from the weight of our sin that changes us and shapes us, transforms us, and causes all our relationships to look like hate compared to the gratitude and love that we have for God. That's when we carry our cross and we follow Jesus up the hill and we place all the consequences of our sins upon him and we receive forgiveness and new life again and again and again. So children, students, high school students, love God more than your parents. Don't fall into that temptation that we all do as children to try to find our approval 
by what our parents think about us. Love God more than your parents. Don't seek the approval of your parents over God. Let your love for God so overwhelm you that your love for your parents looks like hate. Parents, particularly fathers, don't be that dad. You know the dad I might be thinking about. That dad that is so wrapped up in his children's life that he's trying to live his own life through his kids. Do you know that dad? Sometimes you see him. It's hard to see him in the mirror, but sometimes you see him. And one way that you can be sure that you're not that dad who tries to live his life through his kids is if your love relationship with God makes your relationship with your kids look like hate. That's how you don't be that dad or that mom that is so wrapped up about how the kids think about you that you forget that you're God's beloved that Jesus lived the life you couldn't live and died the death you deserved to die so that you could have a relationship with him. That's how much he loves you. Husbands, never love your wife more than God. Wives, never love your husband more than God. Friends, never love your friends more than God. Let your love relationship with God so move you and transform you and shape you that all your other relationships look like hate. This is the first of the shocking statements that we're going to look at. And Jesus does not say, stop loving your parents. That's not what he says. He simply says, your love for your family should look like hate compared to your love for me. Your love for your family should look like hate compared to your love for me. Because you know what happens when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I mean, do, do you really know what happens when you carry your sins up the hill to the cross and you give the weight of your sins to Jesus? Do you know what happens to you? You start to love your enemies. You forgive those that hurt you. You pray for the people that persecute you. Your insecurities become strengths. Your sadness becomes joy. Your grudges become courage. Your bitterness becomes forgiveness. And you get shocked to a whole new way of life. And that's why Jesus said, hate your parents. Thank you, God, for this time. Thank you, Jesus, for your words. And I pray that you would do just that this morning, that you would shock us and change us and transform us to a life worth living a life of forgiveness and joy, a life of hope, a life with you, where our love for you causes such transformation in our own hearts that all our other relationships look like hate. We thank you for this truth and this time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to receive our offering. The offering is just an extension of our worship. We simply give back to God all that in response to all that he has given us.